Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Praise God. We're going to launch with one verse of scripture and then go to a whole bunch more. But we're going to start with one tonight. We're getting back to our Transform series that we've been talking about. And tonight we're going to be talking about relationships transformed. Amen. Matthew 5 and 9. Can we say this together? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You want to know what God's children looks like? Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you today, and we thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for being in your house tonight. Lord, would you help us in the study of this word? Help, Lord, to come alive to us, minister your people. Bless, Lord, those that are joining us online. Bless those that are in the house today. We thank you, God, for it in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. Everybody say, from conflict to calm. That's what we're doing in Relationship Transform, learning how to go from conflict to calm. God bless you. You be seated. We're living in a world that, that seems to thrive on conflict. Conflict and offense is nothing new. We've had conflicts all our lives, haven't we? All from the very beginning of Eden, we've had conflict, but it seems like now that people have a megaphone to share their opinions, to share their fight, to get their message across, their offense, their outrage across. Jesus said that one of the signs of the last days is that many will be offended. That's what he said. There are those in the body of Christ today that require professional-grade skills to just merely get along. <clears throat> I, I, I was thinking as I was studying this message uh, about how that Sister Gill several years ago, uh, we were a youth pastor in Chicago, and, and we were a young 20-something and was youth pastor. And one, one service after service, I got called out into the parking lot by one of the young people. And uh, when I got out there, there was a 16-year-old young man and a probably 40-something-year-old man about to go to blows. Face-to-face, I mean, fists were raged, raised, and they were, they, were, they were enraged. They were fussing and fighting in the church parking lot after service. Now, these aren't unsafe people. These are people who call themselves born again. And, and I didn't know exactly what to do. You know, I'm a young man. I don't know what to do. So all I knew to do is I just pushed. I mean, they were nose to nose, toes to toes, just, just going at it. And I stuck my body right through between them. And where I was facing the older man, I said, y'all are too mature to know how uh, to be acting this way. You need to stop right now. And they did. I'm thankful for that because I don't know what had happened. I'd been right in the middle if they start swinging. Conflict in the church. Some years ago, when we were pastoring in another location, somewhere different than here, I taught an entire lesson on forgiveness, about how the importance of forgiveness. How many know the Bible teaches about forgiveness? And when I got through, two women went into a side room and started arguing and screaming at each other, almost to the point of fighting physically. And again, had to stop. 
What are we? Conflicts in the church? Yeah. I heard one time at one church in, in Illinois that, that they were in such odds with one another, they had an aisle down the middle of the church, and they actually drew a physical line where you had this group over here and that group over there. They did not talk. They did not communicate. And they tried to have church like that. Mercy. Or how about the two sisters that were fighting and, and not getting along very well and, and one gave a message in tongues and the other interpreted it and said, Yea, verily thou thinkest thou art a humdinger, but thou art not a humdinger. Very spiritual. Wouldn't it be great if the church was at a utopia where everyone got along and we never had a conflict, we never had a disagreement, we never had relationship issues? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if we all liked the same music and worship style? Wouldn't it be wonderful we all agreed on leadership style and vision and finances? Wouldn't it be great if everyone walked in lockstep with our parenting models? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all had amazing marriages? Impeccable kids? Perfect grandkids? I guess one out of three is not bad. Imagine a church where no one ever says an unkind word, where gossip is never uttered, our talebearers do not exist. Imagine a church where no members have ever been divorced, battle to custody battle, where we go to find a, a church that, you know, there's no feuds, there's no fussing, there's no fights, there's no issue. Where is such a place? Well, MPC would be that as long as everyone agreed with me. <laughs> if everyone would see like I see, we would have the utopia. No uh -huh. The utopia church doesn't exist. Conflicts happen. Offenses will come. There will be disagreements. People will make mistakes. People will sin because we're people. And people are people no matter where you go. They're people everywhere. If you find a faultless, unblemished, immaculate church, don't go. Because you will sully and back blacken their spotless record by showing up. But here's the thing. Sick people go to hospital. Imperfect people go to church. Problems in lives and conflicts. Amen. You will find that there are people that are aggressive and people that are passive. We got given people and stubborn people, kind people and mean people. There are people who help and there are people who hinder. Some are optimistic and others are pessimistic. Some are loyal and some are unreliable. People, people, people. Some encourage and some complain. Some are introverts and some are extroverts. People, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. Deal with it. That's what the Lord said. He said there's conflicts that arise. Deal with it. Huh. So before I get into how we deal with it, let's talk about what the church looks like. To some churches, nothing more than a spectator sport. They attend church like going to a ball game. They cheer if the team is winning, boo if the team is losing. They're not engaged on the field. They're not invested in practice or preparation. They just simply show up to watch, get their religious fix, and go home. What some call their church life looks nothing more than, than, than a secular life. You and I were made to do more and to be more than just pew dwellers. 
You and I are here to get engaged in the kingdom of God, to serve in the kingdom of God, to be a solution to the problems that we face. You and I must work to love and understand the people of our local assembly. We must be instruments to help others become better people. This is the essence of what we see as our vision at MPC, bringing hope and building lives. We are lives on the building project. Amen. God's not finished with me yet. The old kid's song says, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him a week to make the moon and the stars, but it's taken a lifetime for him to make me. How about you? Church, though, is really about relationships. Relating to one another. Everything in the kingdom hinges on two relationships. One with God and other with our fellow man. Look at Matthew 22. We've read this before in this series, but let's go back to it. Matthew 22, 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Then look at this. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. What is he saying? Everything is summarized into these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That means you've got to have an understanding of who you are. If you know who you are, then you can love someone else. If you don't know who you are, then you're going to love them incorrectly. Jesus changed the world by relationships. Jesus was never seemingly impressed with masses, but he invested continually into one person at a time. He intentionally developed a powerful relationship with his disciples, and with 12 disciples, turned the world upside down. I want to tell you today in the church, how you see yourself is how you will see your brother and sister. You say that again. How you see yourself is how you see your brother and sister. We all look at people through the lens of our own history and perspective. How we see ourselves is determined by our, what happened in our life and, and how we were raised, what we've gone through, what our prisms are. We tend to see people through our beliefs. We see people through our experiences. We see people through our identity. Amen. How you view yourself will determine how you love your brother and sister. How you love your brother and sister. People who are trustworthy tend to trust other people. People who are liars tend to think that everybody else is liars. A person who cares will see others through the lens of compassion. A person who is critical, negative, and constantly sour will believe that everybody else is just like them. So it matters who you are. If you want to see something that is enjoyable and pleasurable and, and, and healthy, then you have to believe and see yourself as who you really are in Christ. The attitude and the actions of the church is this. We're family. Somebody say, we're family. It matters how we act toward each other. We are to love in deed and in truth in John's epistle, chapter 3. In verse 18, we are mandated to work diligently to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 and 3. Look at Ephesians 4 and 31. I'm talking about how the church acts and what makes the church have the right attitude and actions. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away, with you, away from you with all malice. And be ye what? Be ye, say it, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Jesus said in Luke 6 and 31 that we're to treat people as we would like to be treated. 
How many like that? What do we call it? The golden rule? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. That's not what the Bible says. But he said, he said, you want to treat people like you want to be treated. Do so. 1 Peter 3 and 8 says, we're going to break this verse down just a little bit to show you the mindset of a church. 1 Peter 3 and 8 says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counterwise or contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good and let him seek peace and ensure it. So this passage shows us both the attitude of the church and the actions of the church when it comes to relationship. This is how we're to relate one to another. Everybody just do that motion right there with me so you know, okay, this is all of us. In Texas, we say y'all, all y'all, all y'all. He said, be ye all of one mind. What does the church look like? Harmonious. United in spirit, having a common mindset, not having the necessarily the same taste or talents, but walking in harmony. Then he said, another attitude is having compassion one to another, having sympathy towards one another, feeling what the other feels, sensing things through the filter of their emotions and through their particular situation. Have compassion, have sympathy. Then he says, love as brethren. We are family. I want to tell you the reason we say brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so is because we are family and that reminds us to act like it. Whoo, not the Hatfields and McCoys, but the Jesus family. We're the Jesus family. Nothing, there is nothing like a bond of siblings that are walking lockstep. There, there's nothing like it. You get two brothers hooked up together and, and you can't separate them mm -mm, because they're, they're brothers. Love as brothers. Then he said another attitude is be pitiful. Be pitiful. That means be gentle, be kind, be tenderhearted. The, the Greek word here literally means feel generous in your belly. Feel generous in your belly. That, that, that we need to be kind one to another. If there's people that we ought to be gentle and kind with, it ought to start right here at the family of God. Before we're kind to our outside brothers and sisters or even to the lost, we need to be kind and gentle one to another. Oh, praise be to God. Be pitiful. Be courteous. That means humble of spirit. Having a meek and modest thought of oneself. Thinking of others First, amen, being humble, be ready to lift up others. That's the attitude. And then he moves into the actions. In verse 9, he says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessings. Not to get even with, not to exact revenge on, or to render payback to someone, but rather love mercy over justice, love compassion over judgment, not rendering bad for bad, slander for slander, insult for insult. The church of Jesus Christ returns blessing and praise for slander, insult, and bad stuff. Oh, praise God, man, we're going to shout run the aisles tonight. I feel it in my bones. We are called to inherit a blessing. So we're the children of the king. We've got an inheritance out of this world. Let's live like that. Let's act like that. Let's act above that. I don't have to get down in the mud pit when somebody starts slinging slanderous stuff. And, 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 and I want to act like I'm blessed. And I'm going for a blessing. I've got an inheritance. I'm going to act like I'm a child of the king. Then he says in verse 10, this is the actions of the church. 
For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. How many of you want to live a good life? I want to, I want to live a good life. I want to live a good life. I want to love my life. Do you want to love your life? Watch your mouth. That's what Paul is saying. You want to live a good life? Want to enjoy life? Guard this thing right here. People who spend their life in happiness have learned to bite their tongue. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Believers should choose their words carefully, and those who choose their words carefully are going to live abundant life. They refrain their tongue. The word here, when he says refrain his tongue from evil, means they quit. They stop. They, they, they desist. They put a stop to it. What do they put a stop to? Speaking guile or speaking deceit. The, the Greek word here literally refers to a fish hook or a trap or a trick that deceives a victim. Amen. I want to tell you that my words can either trap or they can encourage. My words can either, either deceive, mislead, trick and snare, or that I can help and lift up by my word. If I'm going to live a life that I love, I got to guard this right here. Got to guard this right here. Don't let any deceit come out of this. Then he said in verse 11, another action is let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensure it. What? Do right and seek peace eagerly. Eschew evil. Now, how many of you use the word eschew today in your vocabulary? Anybody? Pastor, I eschewed that tenderloin sandwich today. <laughs> That's not what I was talking about. Lean, the, the word eschew means to lean in the right direction. How would Christ do this? I'm not leaning into gossip and tailbearing, but I'm leaning towards righteousness. You ever been stuck by a thorn? What's your response? Woo! Anybody here ever touched a hot iron? What's the response? You eschewed that thing. That's what it means. You eschewed that thing. When Whitney was a little girl, we had told her repeatedly, don't touch the iron until the day she did it, and we never had to tell her again. Why? She eschewed that thing. When you get stuck by situations, when you get stuck by trials, and, and you have problems and issues in relationship, and you get picked, then they, we learn to eschew that. I, I don't want that. I don't want to get that back down into that, but rather I want peace because that's what Paul, would, or, or the writer Peter rather went on to say, that you seek peace peace and ensure it. You go after peace with a passion. That's what he's saying. You go after peace with a passion. Not to get even, not to be right, not to, to just tear somebody down, but you go after it with a passion. Peace is the opposite of division and strife and war. Let's go hard after it. Why? Why? Look at verse 12. The very next verse. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears, what's coming out of our mouth, he's listening to, are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Why do I have to make sure that I have a good attitude and a good action when it comes to my relationship in the church is because there is a God watching me who is either going to see me as a peacemaker or we're going to see me as a conflict creator. How we act toward one another determines our connection with God. How we act towards one another determines our connection with God. God's watching how we treat each other. Whew. Romans 12, 9. Again, talking about the church. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's what the word means. Let love be without hypocrisy, dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Eschew it. Lean in. Be kindly affectionate one another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. 
And then if we go back to our original passage where he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Who is the ultimate peacemaker? Jesus. Matter of fact, he's called the Prince of Peace, isn't he? The crowning moment where Jesus made peace was not at a conference table. It was not at a negotiation, but it was on a bloody, horrible cross. He sacrificed his life. Jesus made peace through his blood, Colossians 1 and 20. Jesus, he is our peace, and he made peace on the cross and provided a path to reconciliation with us, with God, and then he preached peace to those that are afar off. I want to tell you there is a vast difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. Get this. Get this. A peacekeeper focuses on making things easier. A peacemaker is focusing on making things right in the sight of God. Peacemakers are appeasers. They seek, or peacemakers rather are not appeasers. They seek to please God and to bring men in harmony with God. Peacemakers are not content to live, leave things as they are. They want them to be as God intended them. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather restoration through the presence and the plan of God. God knew that his people would be people. He knew that we would battle conflicts. He knew that we would be family. He knew that there would be issues that we couldn't uh, resolve without his direction. So he provides for us a blueprint for dealing with conflicts in relationship. There are several passages we can go to, but the primary one is in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 takes a powerful and pointed look at relationships among believers. Everybody say, peace is possible if you're willing to work for it. Peace is possible if you're willing to work for it. Harmony is possible, but we got to be willing to work for it. Let's look at, let's, let's walk through. I'm going to show you some values in relationships from Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. They demonstrate to us the value of humility in relationships. You want to know how to get along with people? Work towards being humble. Look at verse 1. At the same time, came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. Look at that word. And become a little, as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child... The same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Amen. Come here, Sister Audrey. Bring, bring Georgia up with you. Oh, my goodness. You know what? This beautiful young lady can be as mischievous as can be, and that's okay. But she doesn't have an agenda. She doesn't have an agenda that she, she wants to lord over others. Okay? She, she's a child. When, when you come to the Lord, the Lord said, listen, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Right here. Right here. That's the way you become the greatest in the kingdom. Right here. Praise God, man. She's doing an awesome job. How do you, how do you become great in the kingdom? is you look at relationship through the eyes of a child. What does she do when, when daddy comes home? Screams. Hi, daddy! You know, that's the way we ought to love the Lord. Father! You just wait until siblings arrive. Right? Why don't we be like that? That's what Jesus is saying. You, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? This is where you start, right here. This is where you love, right here. This is how your attitude is, right here. Praise God. Man, she's beautiful. All right, thank you very much. Give Georgia a great big hand. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, you want to know how to be great? You need to get converted. <laughs> you see, this verse and these verses are talking about relationships. When you look at all of chapter 18, it's talking about relationships. Relationships in the body of Christ is not about who's right or who's best or who's the greatest or who's first place. Amen. The who's the greatest concept doesn't work in the kingdom of God. That's the worldly way of thinking. Relationships in the world are used and abused to help people get ahead. But that's not the way it works. Except Jesus said you become converted like a little child. Unless you humble yourself. And let your mind be, I don't have an agenda with my brother and sister. I love my brother and sister. I'm not looking for who's better best. And I'm not looking for who's pushing for what position. And I don't care who take up the all, who take up the offering or sings in the choir. Or I, I, I'm gonna love them without agenda. That's relationship value. It's to humble ourselves. Number two, verse five through seven. And whosoever receives, receive one such, one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he was drowned in the depths of the sea. Uh, that's some hard saying, isn't it? Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be offenses come, but woe to that man by whom offenses come. What is a relationship lesson here? Take responsibility in your relationship. Take, I am responsible for you. You are responsible for me because we're in the body of Christ. Let me, let me just, let me put it to you this way. The tissue around my elbow on this part of my arm and that part of the arm is more important than the tissue around my knee because they're closely connected. My tissue around my knee can mess up and malfunction, but this tissue here, this muscle over here, and that muscle over here, and this sinew over here, and these, these connected nerves are important because of their proximity. I want to tell you, we are part of the body of Christ to, to Africa, to Russia, to, to uh, Seymour, to, to wherever you want to say. But in the local assembly, I am responsible, more responsible for my relationship with you than I am responsible with the, the church down the road or the church in the next state or the church in the next county. I'm responsible for you because of proximity. I have to take res responsibility for those that I am connected to. Hallelujah. We're responsible with those that we worship with. And he said, be careful. Woe to those that, 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 that bring offenses. What is that? Hurt people. Woe to those who hurt people. People uh, uh, can get things wrong and they can be misunderstood. And I get that. And I realize that there are some folks that they're just going to be... That's their character and their way. But don't mean you can't change. Rhett, I don't like those brown pants that make you look bad. Now, I didn't mean anything by that. And the way you part your hair, Lord have mercy. Man, that's as straight as an arrow. I can't part my hair that way, so bless God, mess it up. Why? We can get offended and we cause offense. We can get hurt. Woe to him. Woe to that man by whom offense cometh. The word offense here is the word scandalon, which means to, to trap stick or, or it means to trick someone into doing something or, or get them. Uh, remember the story of Balaam when he, he got the Israelites to go uh, uh, connected to the pagans and sleep with each other? You know what he did? He, he put a stumbling block before them and enticed them to sin. Mr. Vine says of this word scandalon, it is used metaphorically of anything that arouses prejudice or becomes a hindrance to others and causes them to fall by the way. 
I want to tell you the reason we are careful what we do, what we wear, what, where we go, and how we act is because we are connected tissually. We are connected as joints and bands one to another. And I don't want to be a stumbling block to you. People today walk in offense because they refuse to take personal responsibility for their own emotions and actions. Guard against offense. Guard against offense. They're relationship killers. So value, everybody say value, responsibility. The next value I want to show you is self-examination. Matthew 18, verse 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, how many remember Jesus talking about relationships here? If thy hand or foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or main, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. He's not literally saying, just cut your hand off. He's using an allegory and he's showing to us the seriousness of dealing with offense. Get it taken care of. Don't allow your offense to become your bitterness. Don't allow your wound to become that offense or that, that hurt that, well, they said something or they did something 30 years ago. 30 years ago, and they can't get over that. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you, I'm responsible for that feeling, not them. I'm the one that's carrying that offense. I'm the one that carries that bitterness. Not them. They don't have a clue that I'm mad at them for 30 years. Well, I hadn't spoke to them. They don't care. So he goes on to, cons to say in verse 9, And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it off from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life without one eye rather than having two eyes to cast in hell fire. Whatever you got to do, heal that relationship. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. What is this whole verse talking about? It's going back to that log in your eye principles. Get the log out of your eye so you can help those that have the speck in them. Self-examination is, is, is important and vital and valuable to relationship. Everybody say, I need to look in the mirror. I need to look in the mirror. Remove the things that make relationships difficult. You know, I, I've talked with people, and they say, nobody shakes my hand. Now, this is where we pastored years ago somewhere else. Never here. Nobody ever shakes my hand. Nobody ever talks to me. Well, the Bible says if you're going to have friends, you got to go show yourself friendly. Did you go up to them? I feel like I don't fit in. Well, did you go talk to somebody? No, I waited for them to talk to me. Well, grow up. You want to have a relationship, you got to work at it. How many of you, your marriage got really great when you did nothing? Your kids were raised to be perfect children when you just let them go. No relationship matters. No relationship matters, amen, if we don't work at it, if we don't go after it, amen, and that requires I'm removing the triggers from my mind. Uh, you know what? Sister, Sister Sally Susie Q always says something that hurts me. Well, I'm going to be ready for that. You know, I'm just going to ignore it and go on. Why? I'm going to church with her. I'm going to church with him, and that's more important to me. Than getting right, getting even, cutting them back down. Mm. All right. Value number four is value individual relationships over collective relationships. Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Again, he's talking about relationships that are damaged. And if so be that he findeth it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth over, rejoiceth more than that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went astray, even so 
it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I want to tell you, it is important, hear me, it is important what you say to new converts. It's important what you speak to new converts. It's important that you speak life to them and not tear them down and tell them you should know better. No, you've been going to 40 years to church and you're still working on yourself. It's important that you use the right thing and speech to new people are people that you're reaching, people that are backsliders. Well, you know better. You should go to church. You should not come. Well, yeah, that works real well, doesn't it? It doesn't. Value individuals. Value the individuals in your life, in your connection, in your work with the kingdom of God. Then we're going to get now to the meat of this. And that is verses 15 through 17 value the investment. Somebody say it's costly. If you want a really good relationship, it's not cheap. you got to invest. Conduct within the body of Christ is often directed by principles, which we gave to you earlier in this message. Principles are implicit patterns that come to light by connecting verse to verse, and they show us the way of God. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is one of the rare places where Christ provides for us explicit plans of action. There are two reasons that you go to a brother or sister to fight for a peace and deal with the conflict. Two reasons. Let me give them to you. Matthew 5, 23. Praise God. Matthew 5, 23. And you go into the altar, you're going to worship, and you get bringing your worship to the Lord. And Jesus said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and you remember that thy brother hath aught against thee. He says, You leave it and go be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer your gift. The first way you go to a brother or a sister is when you have done something wrong. How many have been worshiping? Hallelujah! Did I say that? Did I really say that? Those hands go down. Hands go down. It may not be convenient right at that moment to go to them. They may not be around. It may not. You need to go to them alone and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have done that thing. It, 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 Pastor, this is good teaching right here. Praise God. Go to them. When do I go to people? When you have done something wrong. Or when I have done something wrong, and it comes to me, and it usually is revealed in my worship. i got to go get it taken care of. That's number two. Or number one. Number two, if they have sinned. So there's two reasons. If I've sinned, or if they have sinned. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, and if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, look at this, thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee three uh, take with thee one or two more in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word that every word may be established. And if you neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. We too often start with the end result before we ever do the first thing. We treat people like outcast before we know the story, before we've been able to tell the story. So let's go back to step number one. Everybody say step number one. Got a conflict, got an issue, got a sin, got a problem. What do we do? Well, we can either be a skunk or a turtle. What does a skunk do? They spray everywhere and everybody knows. Everybody can smell it. What does a turtle do? They get upset. Every time you see the turtle, you get around them, start messing with them. Whoop, 
they put that old head right down in the shell, don't they? Don't want to talk about this. Don't want to deal with this. So we can do that, but neither one of those are good options, are they? So peacemakers have to deal with conflict the Bible way. And it's what Jesus is saying. Step number one, keep it private. Step number one, somebody say, keep it private. If we follow the blueprint down to its specific letter without discernment, we would have a mess of confusion and a mass defection. Ask yourself this. Is this something that needs to be confronted or does it need to be covered? Does this need to be confronted or does it need to be covered? So I've got to ask myself some question. How would Jesus handle this? How would I like to be treated if it was on the other uh, the shoe was on the other foot? Does it rise to the level of a sin that impacts the unity of the church? Does it impact the life of someone? Does it rise to that level? Amen. Or should I cover this up in love? 1 Peter 4 and 8. Above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. In Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs said, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. There are things that should be covered, and there are things that should be uncovered. Let me give you what I believe is the key. When it is obvious and clear sin that is destroying lives and unity in the body, it needs to be uncovered. Everybody say amen. amen. How do we do that? If, he's do, if your brother trespasses against you, go to him alone and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Between you and her. Ladies, I'm not going to let anybody get off on this, okay? <clears throat> Go tell him. Expose it to him. And I'm using this again. Him and her alone. Let me give you an example. Coming up to someone where there's an issue. Say something like this. I've noticed something in your life that concerns me. But I want to make sure that I'm seeing it correctly. Is what I'm seeing correct or is it something that I'm missing? Come up to them with compassion, not accusation. They're brothers. You know who accuses? The devil. Come up to them with compassion, but go to them Alone. Somebody say the Bible way. Not, my, not pastor's way. That's the Bible way. Go to him privately and here's the aim. To win the brother and not the argument. To win the brother and not the argument. Don't condemn or attack. Amen. Go to win, not merely to expose. Well, I saw you this and that, and I know you're doing this and that. The spirit of restoration ought to be in our hearts that we want to do it to save, not to destroy. Look at Galatians 6 and 1. Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In the spirit of meekness. That's how you go. Consider thyself, lest thou be tempted. Amen. You and I, there is nobody in this church that has a badge that says fault police. Nobody, nobody has a, a fault police shirt. Nobody carries a black belt in the fault police program. Amen. We are not false fault finders. We are not hunting down criminals, but we're rather going to a brother and sister and remembering they're a king's kid just like me. Remembering that I want mercy. I want them to have mercy. Wisdom and discernment is required to distinguish between a fault and a mistake. Something that should be covered and something that should be uncovered. But I want to also tell you something that, that I've learned in this lesson is that though it says step one, it never tells us, Jesus never tells us how many times to do step one. 
It may be that you have to do it more than once. Because what is the goal? Winning the brother. Winning the brother. If step one doesn't work, then you go back again and try it again. Amen. If it does work, you have won a brother and you've killed gossip. Somebody say amen. You've killed gossip. So step number two, what do we do? Verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, you've gone to him alone, and if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So the next step is get help from a few people. Moving to step two doesn't mean that you got an unacceptable answer from them, and so you just want to poke at it some more. But it means that you still see that that brother is in air. Not that you're coming with more soldiers with a gun to call them into question. If the brother or sister persists in sin, if they refuse, you're reaching out to them in love on multiple times, then move to step two. Why? Because when you bring two or three witnesses, the witnesses can see the motive of you and the motive of the other person. They can test the spirit of you and the intentions of the other person. They can test the actions of you and other person. Now, let me just tell you this. Please hear me very carefully. Don't go to somebody you've been gossiping to and say, will you be my witness? Because they're already biased. You've already sold them the, uh, the jury on, on, on how it's supposed to come out. Go get somebody that is spiritual and has, does not necessarily know all the story to let them judge you and the party. Man, I, 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 in my mind, I see people dancing and shouting and running the aisles on this teaching. It's not to gang up on him or intimidate him. The person bringing the question could be out of line. This is where that motive is found out. This will not work, again, if you've been talking to others and bring in your gossip buddies to come be a part of that. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 19 when he said that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. In the mouth of two or three witnesses. Yes, I agree with that. I see that. It's about trying again to win and save the brother who had committed the error. If that doesn't work, we move to step three. Get help from the church. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. And if he neglect to hear the church... Let him be as a heathen man and a publican. Again, the goal is to win the erring brother and to resolve the divisive issue in the church. This is not meant for public humiliation. This is not just to point fingers at someone and tell how bad they are, but rather it's the, it's, it's, it's the last line. It's the last line. Step number two doesn't tell us how often we have to do that. The last line. I want to tell you, if you think I move slow on someone that you see is doing something that you feel like, well, I wish pastor would deal with that. Let me just tell you, I had rather move slow with mercy and grace and give them a chance to get to the altar and have conviction, but I can't reach them out there as quickly and as assuredly as I can reach them in here. How about loving people and dealing with it with mercy and grace? And even with step number three, it is mercy and grace. Lot or Abraham said to Lot, don't let there be strife between me and you or between my workers and your workers, for we are brethren. You choose whatever you want. I had rather lose property than lose family. Right? I had rather lose an argument than lose family. I had rather have egg on my face than to lose a brother that I have offended and beat down. So what happens then? It says, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now you can grind him to powder. Isn't that what he's saying? 
Just treat him like an outcast that he is. Just treat him like the dirt that he's become. Bless God, I'll talk about him and I'll run him down and I'll let everybody know. Mm -mm. What do we do with people who are outsiders? How do we treat people who are outsiders to MPC? We love them. We reach for them. We want to save them. If somebody has gone through a process and they've lost that with God because they're so offended, we still love them. We still reach out to them. We still uh, care for them. It's not that we grind them to powder and tell them what a low-down scoundrel they are because they wouldn't get right. Amen. That's God's job. Our job is to do our best to make peace. Can I tell you, making peace is not easy, but it's possible. Look at the very next verse. 18, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Boy, have we butchered this text. How many remember what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about dealing with relationships. He's talking about dealing with conflict. And he said, listen, I'm empowering you. This is so powerful, let's catch it. I am empowering you. If, if you say it's done, it's done. If you say it's over, it's over. If you keep on dragging it out, it's going to be drug out. What sins you remit, they will be remitted. What, what sins you retain, they will be. What does that mean? It means in relationship, we can either have healing and bind some things and lose some things together, or it's going to die in a, in a relationship state that relationship will die. We have the authority that whether two or three, come here, Pastor Dylan, hurry, come up here. Woo, praise God, praise God. Come here, Zach, come on, praise God. Me and you have been, been battling. We got conflicts, we got issues. Me and you got issues. But all of a sudden we realize what jerks we've been. Praise God. We've messed it up. You know what, brother? I want you to forgive me. I want to get this right. You know what, brother? Please forgive me. Zach, I want to get this right. Can we come together? Can we just let bygones be bygones? Can we bury the hatchet? You know, 30 years ago, Zach, you hurt me so bad. Right? Right? You know, you never know what you did last Sunday and how you snubbed me and turned. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm loosening that. I'm loosing you from that. You know what there is? Now freedom for two, to three to gather together in his name. And the Lord says, I've got it covered. I've got it covered. I've got it. That's the goal. The goal is that we find binding and loosing in relationship so there can be harmony one with another. So there can be symphony, symphony playing together. Aren't Anybody here like to go see the symphony? Go see a band. It's amazing. You know what? They don't all play the same instruments. They, they, there's, uh, y'all can sit down, thank you. There's even that one with the triangle that all that triangle player has is at one part at the end of the program to go. Tingling. That's it. But you know what? They're playing in harmony. They're not all playing the same note. They're not playing the same instrument, but they're playing in harmony. This is what this verse is talking about. There's power in God's presence when we walk in harmony that we can say, it's all right. I let it go. Again, this is talking about relationships and healing, not intercession and prayer. Chapter 16 is a whole different ballgame when it talks about this binding on earth and loosing in earth. And we can talk about that some other time. But what you bind in the past, let it stay in the past. Let it stay in the past. You have the authority to retain or remit when it comes to relationship. Then the last thing, and I'm not going to read this entire passage. So, Shelly, I'm going to jump around just a little bit. In verse 21, 
Then came Peter to him after all this discussion and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I got my calculator out, Lord. How off? Till seven times? How many times do I have to go through this process with my brother? Well, Mordecai, Malachi, Ezekiel, he offends me every service. Or he offends me every time I get around him. He aggravates me. Whatever you love bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Keep holding on to that and I'll turn to the need for forgiveness. For Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then Jesus launches into a story about forgiveness. Sister Shelley, let's jump to verse 35. Verse 35 in, in, our, in our scripture text. So likewise, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye for your hearts, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother, their trespass. Well, Pastor, what do I do when nothing that I do works? Good question. Good question. You've tried everything. You've gone through step one, two, and three multiple times. Now, if you haven't gone through those steps, <laughs> go through them. But you've tried everything you can to live peaceably with someone and you cannot make peace. What do you do? Go to Romans 12 and it will tell you as much as lieth within you when you've done all you can do leave it in the hands of God and back away. Leave it in the hands of God and back away. Stand with me please. In church this is the biblical blueprint for dealing with conflicts and issues and how do we, if you see something that is going on, ask yourself this question, does it need to be covered or uncovered? How do I know that? Is it harming the unity of the church? Is it harming the life of the individual? If you know that, then don't take up the idea that you've got all the facts but go to that person directly and say, I, I just want you to know that I see some things and it concerns me and I just want to make sure I'm seeing it correctly. Is this true? Is that true? If you've done that and they receive you, you know what? Nobody has to know about it. You just go on. But when you lay blame to someone for doing something or acting in such a way and you go to a brother or sister and you tell them you have misapplied God's plan and blueprint for restoration. Okay? Amen? I want to do what the book says. Now, if it's, if it's just something that is a matter of, of a mistake, let it go. Don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on it. Dear Lord, you may be wrong too. I, I probably Bishop said you were. What's well, a good thing? I, <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't say what I was about to say. I, maybe I'm wrong, and it would have been right. He would have, he would have said that right there. Maybe he knows me way too well. Brothers and sisters, relationship in the church matters. It matters how we relate. <clears throat> you can call this message done or not done, but I got one more thing to tell you. I've taught on this here before. There's a place where Paul said that if an unbeliever invites you to your house and is going to serve you meat and you don't know if that's offered to idols or not, you eat and ask no questions. That's what he said. Then he said... If you go to an unbeliever's table and a believer goes with you and they tell you that meat is offered to idols, you know what he said? Don't eat it. 
So one time he's telling me I'm dealing with this issue and it's just an unbelier in me that, 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 that it's okay to eat that. but then when it's my brother and he's, he's saying for sure that's all for the idols, I don't eat it. Why? What's the principle? The principle is that God considers relationship in the family. The kingdom of God more important than a relationship with those you have in the world. We want to save them. We want to see them saved. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just simply saying there are things that we do for the sake of relationship. For the sake of relationship. Can you begin to love the Lord today? Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.